Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2, continuing our study through the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, of course, is considered one of the most difficult books in the Old Testament to understand. But a lot of it is actually quite simple when you cross-reference it with the rest of Scripture. This morning's message is one that, boy, there's not a better time for it than a holiday weekend when we're remembering the birth of our country. Um, how many of you are thankful to live in the United States of America? Amen. And I've got to tell you, I don't know why God is blessing us right now. Because as a nation, we don't deserve God's blessing. And yet, right now, with President Trump's opportunity to put another constitutionalist on the Supreme Court, that is vital. And let me just make a couple of comments on that before I preach. Have you noticed that people are freaking out that he's going to take away gay rights, he's going to take away women's rights, he's going to take away, that the Supreme Court's going to take away abortion? How many of you have heard that, that hysteria? They're freaking out. They're crying on television. Literally crying, going crazy, because what President Trump, Lord willing, uh, the person that he will appoint will be a constitutionalist, a person who believes that the Constitution should be interpreted as it was originally intended. So why are they upset? Is maybe the right to get an abortion not in the Constitution? Do you think maybe that's what they're worried about? The right to kill your child is not in the, in, in the Constitution. And I do want to make a couple of other comments. You know, there's a lot of um, hysteria about what's going on at the border and how children are separated from their parents at the border. Is there anyone that you may have heard of that on the news? Well, number one... What happens every time an American citizen breaks the law when their child is present? What happens? We have some police officers here. If someone is doing something, breaking the law and their children are in the car, do the children go to jail with the parent? No. You see, whoever is making all of this craziness about this, they're just lying to you. They're lying to you. But here's the no most important thing for you to remember. The same people that are crying about this. Now, how many of us want parents separated from their kids? No. Now, some people need to be separated from their kids because they're animals. But beyond that, we don't want to separate families, and there's nobody that wants to do that, right? But you have to remember, the people that are crying about that would have preferred for those children to have been killed in the womb. It's not a matter of choice. They want to kill as many children as possible. Understand that. They think that we're overpopulated especially those unfavorable races. Because what they say is, oh, you want that child to grow up in poverty? Oh, because they're in poverty, they should die? Do you understand that all I'm doing is bringing logic to the conversation? These people that are complaining about separating children from parents who have broken the law are the same ones who want those children to die and who think that you're a Nazi. Listen. You're a Nazi because they don't, you don't want their mothers to kill them. That's where we are. That's what's going on in the world. And we as Christians, we need to keep our heads on right. Uh, there was a, James Knox was in um, Rhode Island. And so the first Baptist church uh, in the United States was in Newport. Second Baptist church in the United States was in Providence. It was founded by Roger Williams. And the sign of that church, it said, imagine 
if what would have happened if Joseph, Mary, and Jesus were separated at the Egyptian border? Okay. How many of you think God could have overcome that? Do you think? Is it possible that God could have overcome that? That's the craziness that's going on in the world. And you, you find that in churches. And the reason for that is because of the social gospel. I mentioned this in Sunday school. Remember, the social gospel is not the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The social gospel is what has pervaded much of Christianity. It was invented by a guy named Walter Rauschenbusch. He wrote a book called The Social Crisis in 1907 and then A Theology for the Social Gospel in 1917. And he said that Jesus didn't die on the cross for your sins. That's ridiculous, he said. Silly. Jesus died on the cross for the societal sins, these macro sins. And the societal sins of the United States are nationalism, militarism, individualism, and capitalism. Nationalism, individualism, militarism, and capitalism. Those are the things that Jesus Christ died on the cross for. That's the philosophy of that First Baptist Church in Providence. See, nationalism, the idea that we would have borders, that's sin to a globalist. God wants us to have borders. He said, remove not the ancient landmark. What, what were those ancient landmarks? They were the borders. They were the property markers. In Genesis chapter 11, God said, we need to scatter them because if they're all one, nothing they imagine will be restrained from them. Remember, the imaginations and thoughts of men were only evil continually. Casting down imaginations and every thought, every high thing, the Bible says. Bringing into captivity every thought that exalts itself above uh, above God and the knowledge of Christ. So this idea of a globalist society without borders, without nations, that has nothing to do with the Bible. It has nothing to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's antithetical to the biblical message. So we as believers, we need to be able to stand for the truth. Now, let me be very clear. It's not Republican truth because Republicans are idiots. It's really important that we get this. The only thing that we need is we need a constitutional government. It's the longest standing constitution in the world right now. And we want the Supreme Court justices to interpret the constitution that God gave us through those men. The most remarkable document in the history of politics is what God gave us in our constitution. It's not a Republican thing. It's not a Democrat thing. We as believers, we need to be thankful for what God gave us. And that's what we celebrate on the 4th of July. That's what we celebrate. And so we have liberal churches and liberal politicians and weak-minded Republican politicians who don't believe in national sovereignty. God believes in national sovereignty. As a matter of fact, we're going to see it here in a minute. The way, his, his plan for the entire future of the world is he's going to deal with nations. That means there's more than one. Right? So we believe in national sovereignty and a lot of the foolishness that's going on. Remember... These same people, these same people who say that a baker doesn't have the religious right to refuse to participate in someone else's religious seminary, uh, uh, ceremony, cemetery, marriage, I don't know, <laughs> Freudian. The same people that say that the baker has to participate and he doesn't have religious rights. These are the same people that say that President... Uh, Trump is a bigot because of what they call his Muslim ban, because they have the religious right to come here. 
So religious people that live here don't have the right to exercise their religion, but people that want to kill us have the right to come and exercise their religion. Do you think maybe we have some logical inconsistencies here? Do you think? You see, no one has the right to come to the United States. No one. There's no right. There's no right to do that. We have the privilege to be American citizens. Praise God for that. And, man, I'm thankful for immigration. My grandparents uh, came from Germany uh, my, my, on my mother's side. I'm very thankful that we're able to... Now you know why I'm so angry, right? <laughs> Have you all ever seen that deal? Um, Nathan, what is it? German... Uh, how would German love songs or whatever? And it's just... They scream it. You know, it's hilarious. I love you! <laughs> German. Um... <laughs> So, all, none of this is my message, but I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to talk about just how wonderful it is to actually be an American, but to understand that there are people that absolutely despise and hate our system. And we have to try, we, remember, we always apply the internal test to the challenge. So, remember, there's no such thing as truth. What do we ask? Is that true? Right? So it's the same thing with these statements. Either there is religious liberty in the United States or there's not. If there's religious liberty, then we can practice our religion. But if my religion calls me to kill you, then I can't practice that religion in the United States. Why? Because it violates the law. So all, all I'm saying is when you start hearing all this hysteria about what uh, a a literal, a person who is going to be a constitutionalist who believes in positive law, all of those things, when you hear these things come up, understand the people that are questioning it are liars who hate our system. They hate you. They would just as soon imprison you as anything. And we are not Nazis. Right? We're not. And to even be accused of that is someone who really has no understanding of history. Okay? All right. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll try to change gears here. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach it. And Lord, help us to take to heart what you have in your text today. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message today is Sing and Rejoice. <laughs> Sing and Rejoice. Here, let's look at uh, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy Habitation. So the command here is to sing and rejoice. Have you ever been in a situation where it's difficult to sing and rejoice? Right? You've come through surgery, some, the car breaks down, something's going on, and it's difficult to sing and rejoice. Well, the text here gives us some reasons to sing. James Knox, who I mentioned a minute ago, in his commentary on Zechariah, he wrote this, When the holy God is the center of the assembly of His people, and when the Holy Ghost is ruling in their hearts, then... Will they sing? Oh, how they will sing. They shall rejoice with unbounded, genuine, heartfelt happiness. 
All the folly of this Laodicean age will banish, being unnecessary were God given His proper place in the lives and churches of those who claim to be His own. When God is present, we should rejoice. When God is in our lives, we should rejoice and sing. Now, the Bible here gives us some reasons to sing and rejoice. Look at verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come. So we need to sing and rejoice for His coming. Did you know Jesus Christ should come today? How many of you believe Jesus Christ is coming back? Then we should sing and rejoice. This world is a mess. Did I just describe some of the mess that's in this world? Can you believe that people want to kill babies? Just get your head around that. This precious child that we had up here, understand there are a lot of people that would just assume that baby not be alive. I can't get my head around that. I, because they're, they're creatures of God. The, our God has instilled in every individual the way our founding documents said, what do they have? We are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Do you think that, that killing a child is depriving that child of its life? That's violating that child's right, and that's where the whole right to life movement comes from. And notice the way that, that the world, they're so good at euphemisms. That it's, they don't go the right to death. It's the right to choose. Well, what if I choose to kill them? You know, some of these liberals are very inconvenient to me. They are violating my mental health. How many of you can believe that? You question my mental health all the time. So we live in a world where wrong is right and right is wrong, where, where they, they would absolutely freak out if you cut a particular tree down, but they'll kill a baby, right? If you violated a bald eagle's nest, man, they're going to protest like you wouldn't believe. But if, if, if you violate a child's life, that's okay. How many of you can tell I'm a little stuck right now? Man, we believe in liberty, but you don't have the right to kill people. That's not your right. The world's a mess. Man, I'm so glad Jesus Christ is coming back. Amen. We're going to see in a minute what He's going to do when He comes back. I mentioned before that uh, someone had told me they saw a bumper sticker that said, Beware the Lamb. Because Jesus Christ came the first time as a lamb to be slain. The second time he comes back, he's coming back as the lamb still, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. But he's coming back to rule and to reign with a rod of iron. That's the Jesus that we worship. That's the Lord that's returning. And the world likes that meek and humble Jesus, but we'll find out whether or not they like the ruling and reigning Jesus. Sing and rejoice for his coming. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? That's our joy, having you around us at the throne of God when Jesus Christ returns and takes us away. Look at Isaiah chapter 40. Of course, always keep your place in Zechariah. But look at, uh, I said Isaiah, I meant Psalms chapter 40. Verse 7, Psalm 40, verse 7. So this is a psalm of David, and yet it is a messianic psalm. So this is Christ that's being referred to in verse 7. 
Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. When is this going to happen? Look at verse 1. This is David speaking here. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. So this is a perfect picture of what God is going to do for the nation of Israel. We don't have time to go there, but in Daniel chapter 2, where Daniel is giving the interpretation of that, that image, and he gives the, the four Gentile kingdoms. You have the, the Persian kingdom and the Babylonian, or the Babylonian kingdom, the Persian kingdom, the, the Greek kingdom, the Roman kingdom. And that Roman kingdom has never really ended, but it divides into two parts, the two legs. So you have the Eastern and the Western. So the Eastern Orthodox and the Roman Catholic is what that grew into. Then coming is what is called the revived Roman Empire. And in Daniel chapter 2, it says that is going to be mixed with miry clay with miry clay. And out of that mess in the tribulation period that comes, God is going to raise Israel up out of that miry clay, out of that pit, uh, what, what uh, uh, John Bunyan would have called the slew of despair and pilgrim's progress. And he is going to set them on a rock. That's what he's going to do. And do you know what they're going to do? They're going to sing. They're going to sing a new song. Let's see verse 3. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. So here's what happens. When a person, let's, let's apply that to now. This is what's going to happen in the tribulation. But what happens with us now is, how many of you, when you, when you got saved, it freaked some people out? That happened? It, 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 they, they couldn't believe what was going on. Others, when you got saved, man, they were just praising the Lord because they loved God. And look at what in verse 3 says. He hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it in fear. <clears throat> Do you know the reason that it really messes with people when someone gets saved? Is because now this person begins living a holy life. And that brings real conviction to the people who are still living in opposition to a righteous and holy God. When we get saved and we live for God, it causes those people around us to fear. And then, look at what it says, Many shall see it in fear and shall trust in the Lord. When a person has that new song, they're willing to praise God publicly. Many see it. Some fear and some turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's not be ashamed to praise God publicly. Let's not be ashamed of our God. Let's be willing to do that. And what happens with Israel, when God saves Israel in the tribulation, then the nations around fear. And some of those nations turn to God. Others of those nations are turned into hell. We'll see that in a minute. So sing and rejoice because Jesus Christ is coming again. Look at what it says in verse 4. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Now, everybody, look at this verse with me. It's really important. Sometimes it's good not to respect people. All right, look at what it says. Blessed is that man that maketh the Lord his trust, and respecteth not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. So here's the idea. If someone is teaching you something that is not true, you're not supposed to respect that person. How many of you know people that are proud 
of their sin and proud of teaching falsehood. They're proud of that. We're not supposed to respect them, right? We're not supposed to respect them. And we demonstrate that respect, that, that, that disrespect, not by being disrespectful to them. The Bible says we're supposed to speak the truth in love. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 1.5, Now the end of the commandment is charity of a pure heart and of faith unfeigned, from which some have swerved and have turned aside into vain jangling. If the end of my... So I was just speaking about abortion and the killing of children. Listen, if you have had an abortion, if you're a lady here and you have had an abortion, that was a terrible thing. There's no way that I can say that that's good. I think there are five men that agree with me on that. It's not good to kill children. There's no way that we as a church can condone that. But you know what I can tell you? Jesus died on the cross for you. He loves you. If you had been the only person in the world, Jesus would have died on the cross for you. And the amazing thing is, He will forgive you. And so will we. We love you. We want God's best for you. And God's best for you is not to continue in a lifestyle of death, but to turn to God and live. And do you know what He'll do if you do that? He'll put a new song in your heart. He'll do that. Do you know what will happen? The people around you will look at that and they'll fear. And some of them will turn to Him. See, we're not supposed to respect false teaching. But if you show respect, let me give you an example of false teaching and the idea of respecting false teaching. That's that concept of relativism and multiculturalism, that all cultures are equally valid, all cultures are equally good, all ideas are valid. Whatever you think, well, I'm speaking my truth today. This is my truth. Well, is your truth true for everybody? If it's not true for everybody, then it's not true. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There's only the truth. And I either agree with the truth and I'm right, or I disagree with the truth and I'm wrong. That's it. That's good for us to recognize and understand. It's interesting. The only area where people want relativism is in their sin. They don't want relativism in their doctors or their their airplane mechanics. I think that's good enough. I'm going to use whatever fuel I want in your plane. Because that's my truth. Who wants to fly on that plane? Uh, Nobody. Nobody. I think you have to have a hundred hour something on your airplane. Is that right, Eric? A hundred hours. Every hundred hours they go through the airplane. What if a guy says, well, a hundred hours is 200 for me. That's my truth. You have your numbers. I have my numbers. Nobody thinks that way. Right? You can't respect that kind of thinking. I have no respect for somebody that says that I have the right to kill my child. I have no respect for that. And those people lose the moral authority to tell me how to govern. Is that right? And so we, the Bible says that we don't respect woe to them that call good evil and evil good. Woe to them. Not, oh, I, I have great respect for your ideas. You know, you, we just saw, you know, they have all those hearings going on on Capitol Hill. And what they'll say is, with all due respect... That means that what's next means you're an idiot. Right? They're trying to be civil with all due respect. You're an idiot. 
All right? So the Bible makes it very clear that we don't respect the proud. We don't give respect to people that are harboring lies. Look at the next verse. Verse 5, many o, Lord are, many, o Lord my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. Praise the Lord. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto thee. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. That's what God, he loves us. Now look at sacrifice and offering thou didst not desire. Mine ears hast thou opened. Burnt offering and sin offering hast thou not required. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. You know that God was never happy with sacrifices, but it had to be done because of sin. God didn't want sacrifice. He wanted holiness. And so God sent Jesus Christ. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 10. This is where this passage is cited in in the New Testament. Sing and rejoice because the Lord is coming. How many of you believe it'll be better when Jesus is here than it is now? Amen. That's why we need to sing and rejoice. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared. This is Jesus. God the Father prepared a body for Jesus. Why? Because in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. He, didn't, he, he had no pleasure in those sacrifices. He wanted holiness. So he sent his son. Then said I, lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. Above when he said sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. He took away the law so that he could establish this, this wonderful grace through the blood of Jesus. By the which will we are sanctified, that is set apart to holiness, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Praise God. That's what Jesus Christ did for us. And that's how we can sing that new song. He is coming back to establish righteousness and holiness in this world. Praise the Lord for that. So we're going to sing and rejoice because Jesus Christ is coming again. Go back to Zechariah chapter 2. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come and dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. For lo, I come and dwell in the midst of thee. So we're going to sing and praise God for His coming, but we're going to sing and praise God for His presence. We're going to sing and praise God for His presence. The Bible says, I will dwell in the midst of thee. The source of all blessing for God's people lies in His dwelling in their midst. Do you remember when Jesus Christ, He led the children of Israel out of Egypt through Moses. And God said, I'll be with you. I'll be a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. I'll be your presence. I'll be that. But remember, after the golden calf incident, God told Moses, He said, I'm gonna, I'll make a new nation of you. I'm going to go with you, but I'm not going to go with the people. Look at what happened. Go with me to, to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus 33, look at verse 13. Moses praying to God for his people. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I might find grace in thy sight, 
and consider that this nation is thy people. Does God care about nations? Yeah. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. So what is this? The presence of God means separation from the world. The fact that God was present in that nation meant that they were distinct from the rest of the world. For us individually, when God is present with us, that means that separates us from the rest of the world. Don't you know? No, you're not. That you're not your own, but you're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. That presence of God, we need to praise God for it, but that also makes us separate from the world. The presence of God is the sign of God's blessing. Now, but that presence of God always denotes holiness. Remember the Bible, I think I mentioned it last week. For wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Is that what the Bible says? Hey, let's say this right now. Are we gathered together in Jesus' name? Amen. Let's say this out loud together. Hello, Jesus. Ready? One, two, three. Hello, Jesus. How many of you have forgotten that he was here with us today? We just sing and rejoice because he's with us. I should have taken a video. I should have snuck up here and taken a video during our song service and gotten a picture of you to see if you were singing and rejoicing because Jesus is here. What song? What's one of the songs we sang to get ancient words? Ancient words. Oh, how true. <sighs> Baptist salute, you know. <laughs> it's so important that we understand His presence, but His presence always requires holiness. Isn't that right? So remember, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. What's the context of that? Church discipline. That's Matthew 18. That's where some, if, if your brother's overtaken in a fault, you go and find him, you go and talk to him, you and he alone, and tell him his sin. If he won't hear you, you take two or three from the church, you go and confront him. If he won't hear you, then you bring it before the whole church, and then you treat him as a sinner and a publican if he won't listen to the church. Then Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Jesus said, I'm with you in holiness. God's presence always requires holiness. How many of you are thankful for the presence of God? How is your holiness? Remember last week we talked about recognizing the holiness and the lordship of Christ in our lives. Meditating on that. Focusing on the lordship of Jesus Christ. His presence always requires holiness. We're going to sing and rejoice because of His presence. Because of His presence. Then we're going to sing and rejoice because of His word. Go back to Zechariah chapter 2. Zechariah chapter 2. Verse 10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for lo, I come, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, saith the Lord. And then look at what it says. Or look, look at what we just read. Saith the Lord. So we saw, for lo, I come. So we sing and rejoice because of His coming. I will, for I will, and I will dwell in the midst of thee. So we're going to sing and rejoice because of His presence. Saith the Lord. We're going to sing and rejoice because of His word. See, Jesus Christ is not only coming... 
Jesus Christ is not only here with us, but He didn't leave us without a compass. He didn't leave us without information. He gave us His Word. See, the reason we know it's wrong to kill is because God wrote it down. The reason we know that behaviors are wrong and behaviors are right is because God wrote it down. How many of you enjoy encouraging speech? Right? Why, why do we really understand that? Because the Bible says that a, that, a, that a word fitly spoken is like pictures or apples of gold on pictures of silver. A fit word rightly spoken. We understand the Bible gives us that information. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. I'm so glad that the word, God's Word doesn't just say you're evil, you're evil, you're a sinner, you're worthless, you're a sinner, you're worthless, you deserve to go to hell. Aren't you glad the Bible doesn't end there? Now, how many of you know we deserve to go to hell? But what's the good news? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. That's good news. But, but God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, you can't know what's good unless you know what's bad. Right? Once you've had a good steak, you don't, know what a, you don't really know what a good steak... Oh, wait a minute. You don't really know what a bad steak is until you've had a good one. So I never get a steak at Applebee's because I have eaten at Smith & Walensky's. Once you've had a good steak, you can't eat a bad steak. So what do I recommend? Never go to Smith & Walensky's if you want to eat a steak at Applebee's. I'm just telling you. You have to know what's good to understand what's bad. I guess it was Chad Albers. We ate there last week. He said, if you ever want food that comes out of a bag, go to Applebee's. <laughs> it's poured out of a bag. It's, it's so amazing. In, in our world, God has given us what is righteous and what is holy and what's good. We know that because we have His Word. If we didn't have that, then all we'd have is the opinions of man. And you know the opinions of man are insane. It's insane. So thank God, sing and rejoice because of His Word. And then look at what it says in verse 11. It says, And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day. So we're going to sing and rejoice for His mercy. We're going to sing and rejoice for His mercy. Now when is this going to happen? In that day. What's that day? That's the day that the Lord returns to establish His kingdom on the earth. They shall be joined to His people. Look at. Uh, let's trace some verses on this so we can understand it. Jeremiah chapter 51. So this is God speaking to Israel. Jeremiah 51, look at verse 20. Thou art my battle axe and weapons of war. For with thee will I break in pieces the nations, and with thee will I destroy kingdoms. All right, so when Jesus Christ comes back, He is the Lord of hosts, we come back with Him. We're going to see that in just a second. We come back with Jesus, the Lord of hosts. But what He does is He takes His nation of Israel and He strengthens them so that they make war with the nations and they become God's battle axe. They become God's weapons against the nations that are against God. That's what God is going to do with the nation of Israel. Thou art my battle axe. So remember what happened in Zechariah chapter 1. They're in a low place. They're among the myrtles in the low place. Here, they're no longer in the low place. God has lifted them up. 
He's exalted them. He's made them strong. Look with me in Zephaniah. So if you go back to Zechariah and then go back two books, it's Zephaniah chapter 1 and look at verse 7. Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 7. And you might want to put a marker here because I'm going to want to come back to this passage in a minute. So Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 7, Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. So remember, we're, sell- we're rejoicing because Jesus is coming and He's going to be present with us. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. That day, the day of the Lord, that's when Jesus Christ returns. Right? Praising God for His, His coming. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. Now look at, he hath bid his guests. He hath bid his guests. Who are the guests that he's invited? Go to Isaiah chapter 2. Verse 1, the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning who? Judah and Jerusalem. All right, that's what this prophecy is about. And it shall come to pass in the last days. Is the time word there? Last days. That the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. So two things are going to happen when the Lord returns at the end of the tribulation. Remember, because of the earthquakes and everything, the mountains have been brought low. But not only are the other mountains brought low, but Mount Zion is raised up so that the throne of God is the highest place in the world. That's what's going to happen. And the whole world is going to flow unto it. Look at all nations shall flow unto it at the end of verse 2. Look at verse 3. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and He will teach us of His ways and we will walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So here's what's going to happen. God is going to invite His guests, all the nations, to come and hear Him. But He's invited them to something before that. Look at verse 4. And He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. What God is doing is He is establishing peace in the world. There will be peace on earth when Jesus reigns in Jerusalem and His people are safe in the land and the other nations are coming up to Jerusalem to learn at the feet of Jesus the law of God and then carry that law back to their nations to govern all of these nations by the law of God. Then you can beat your swords into plowshares. You know, the world wants peace right now. They think they can get it through globalism. The only way the world's ever going to have peace is when the Prince of Peace comes back. That's it. He is going to bring peace. Then, sing and rejoice. There's so much more I could say. Go back to Zechariah. So we're going to sing and rejoice because of His coming. We're going to sing and rejoice because of His presence, because of His Word. We're going to sing and rejoice because of His mercy to the nations. But then we're going to sing and rejoice because of the Trinity. Okay, verse 11, Zechariah chapter 2, verse 11. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto thee. So Jesus Christ is speaking and saying, I'm coming. But Jehovah, the Lord Jesus, is saying that Jehovah, the Lord God, the Father, has sent me. 
And then He's going to pour out His Spirit upon all the people. So praise God for the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Then sing and rejoice because of the perfect pattern of future prophecy that God gives us. All right, so we're going to look at this and I'm going to be done. But what I want you to see is that God has laid out His entire plan for the ages in Zechariah chapter 2. So go to verse 6 and look at this. Verse 6. We're in Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 6. Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith the Lord. So Israel is called back from the dispersion. They're called back. That happened in 1919 with the Balfour Declaration. 1948 with the establishment of the nation of Israel. During the tribulation, they're all going to come back because of the persecution that goes on around the world. He's going to draw the people back. Look at verse 7. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. Remember what's going to happen. Antichrist is going to set up his kingdom in Revelation chapter 17. It's called Mystery Babylon. So he's calling his people out of Babylon then in the tribulation. He's called them back in 1919, 1948. Now verse 7, calling them back from Babylon, which will be risen again in Revelation chapter 17. And then look at what it says in verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, After the glory hath he sent me unto the nations which have spoiled you. For he that toucheth you toucheth the apple of his eye. Jesus Christ comes in judgment for Israel's tormentors. Keep your place here. Go to Matthew chapter 25. This outline for the plan of the ages is in Zechariah chapter 2. So Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Remember what it said in our verse that we just read in Zechariah, that after the glory, he's going to do this. When the Son of Man shall come, Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man shall come in, what's it say? And all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his, what? And before him shall be gathered all Christians. Nations, And he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungered and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungered and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto him, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least, of these my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so we have ministries all over the world that want to go and give someone a drink in Jesus' name, and they think that's the gospel. Why? Because it's much easier to hand someone a cup of water than to tell them about their lost and sinful condition. You see, giving someone a drink is not the gospel. That's the social gospel of Walter Rauschenbusch, which is communism, Marxism, pacifism, not biblical truth. Amen? You see, people take this passage... And they, they try to apply it to the way we give the gospel. When the Bible tells us what this is, verse 32, and before him shall be gathered, what's it say? Is this all Christians being judged? No. 
The Christians are taken out at the rapture. The Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall, be, shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That takes place way before any of this. This is the judgment of the nations that takes place after the tribulation because the nations have treated Israel badly, and those nations are condemned. The nations that feed Israel and bring water to Israel and help Israel, those nations get to come into the kingdom and be blessed forevermore. That's the judgment of the nations. That's God's plan for the ages. There's so much more, and we'll deal with some of that next week. But go with me back to Zechariah. So remember what we've seen in verse 6, Israel's called back from the dispersion. In verse 7, Israel flees from Babylon. In verse 8, Christ comes in judgment of Israel's tormentors. And then look at what happens in verse 9. For behold, I will shake mine hand upon them, and they shall be a spoil to their servants, and ye shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. God's going to take the wealth of all of those nations and give it to Israel, just like He did at the Exodus. He's taking the wealth of the nations and giving it to Israel. Then, look at verse 10. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion. Can you imagine these Jews, when they get all the money, they're going to rejoice. They're going to get all of that. It's going to come. Then, verses 10 and 11, Christ is going to reign all over the earth, over all the earth from, 11, from Jerusalem. Verse 11. And many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and shall be my people, and I will dwell in the midst of thee, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. And the Lord shall inherit Judah, his portion, in the Holy Land, and shall choose Jerusalem again. Again, this, this is the only place in the Bible where that land is called the Holy Land. That's where that comes from, is that verse. So Christ reigns all over the earth from Jerusalem. And then in verse 12, the promises are kept regarding the land and the people. You know, there's an entire, whether it's um, uh, Presbyterian or Lutheran or Catholic, there, now I'm not saying all Lutherans or all Presbyterians, but there is a group in there that believe in what's called replacement theology. And it, it's Calvinistic, it's Calvinism. And that's the teaching that because Israel rejected Christ, that God, he, he broke his covenant with Israel, and now all of those promises that God made to Israel, now those apply to the church. That's what they teach. And so what we have to do is we have to conquer the world for Christ so that Jesus Christ can return. That's what happens with amillennialism or postmillennialism. We're premillennialists because we believe in a literal interpretation of the Scriptures. And the Bible says that God, that the promises, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. What is that talking about? That's Romans chapter 11 where God is saying, and all Israel shall be saved. God's not done with Israel. Those promises are going to be kept. And then I want you to see this, that this knowledge brings a great hush of excitement Verse 13, look at it. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord, for He is raised up out of His holy habitation. Now, I'm done. So I know, I hope I haven't lost you, but let's just finish with this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the, the Creator of the world, the One who, spoke out of, who stepped out on the edge of nothing and spoke everything into existence, the one who upholds all things with the word of his power, the one by whom and for whom are all things, that God, that Jesus. Right now, the Bible says, he is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for the saints. 
We have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our, of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We can come boldly because there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the Father right now making intercession for us. Is that right? Keeping us. Quiet. Right now around the throne of God, there are thousands and innumerable angels and saints around the throne of God singing, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Worthy is the Lamb. That's what's going on in heaven right now according to Revelation chapter 5. The noise of it. It's loud. They're celebrating the presence of Jesus because when He's there, you have to sing and rejoice. But it says be silent. Because here's what's going to happen. It could happen today. He's going to stand up. You see what it says? Verse 13. Be silent, O all flesh, before the Lord. For He is raised up out of His holy habitation. Do you know what happens after Jesus Christ rises up out of His holy habitation? He comes back. Zephaniah. Let's go back to Zephaniah chapter 1 and verse 7. Hold thy peace at the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord hath prepared a sacrifice. He hath bid his guests. Revelation 8 1. Revelation 8 1. So you've had the seven seals. This is the seventh seal that is opened. Only the Lamb could open it. Revelation 8, 1. And when He had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. So what Jesus does is He gets up off of that throne. There's silence everywhere. This great tribulation starts to happen. At the end of that great tribulation, do you know what Jesus Christ says to us? He gets up off of that throne and He marches towards His white horse. And he tells us, church, mount up. We're going to battle. Now remember, that term, Lord of hosts, that's used all the way through the book of Zechariah, that is Jesus Christ's title, the title of the Lord, leading us in battle. 
The Bible says as he returns, he bathes his sword in the heavens. That spiritual warfare, those angelic powers, Jesus Christ destroys them. He spoiled them. He took their power when he died on the cross in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. And having spoiled principalities, he made a show of them openly. The Bible says, nailing them to the cross. Jesus Christ defeated them, their power. He defeats them physically as He returns to the earth. And then He invites the nations to Jerusalem. Zechariah chapter 14. The Bible says in Zephaniah that He's prepared a sacrifice. Zechariah 14 verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord cometh, and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished, and half the city shall go forth into captivity, and the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when He fought in the day of battle. And His feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. And there shall be a great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azal. Yea, ye shall flee." like as ye fled from before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, look it, and all the saints with thee. Jesus Christ is going to invite the nations. And that nations, those nations are going to be a sacrifice. That's the judgment of the nations. You see, Zechariah chapter 2 gives us his whole plan for the age. Do you think sometimes we're flippant about who Jesus is? How many of you are thankful He's your Savior? But He is the Creator of the world. The Bible says, Kiss the Son. Kiss the Son. Lest He be angry. Does the Bible say that? You see, this, this soft, effete Jesus of the world, He is not the Jesus of the Bible. We need to be strengthened by His presence. We need to be strengthened by His Word. We need to be strengthened by His indwelling Spirit. I want to repeat what we read earlier. When the Holy God is the center of the assembly of His people, and when the Holy God is ruling in their hearts, then will they sing. Oh, how they will sing. They shall rejoice with unbounded, genuine, heartfelt happiness. All the folly of this Laodicean age would banish. Being unnecessary were God given His proper place in the lives and churches of those who claim to be His own. How many of you, you say that Jesus is my Lord? How many sing and rejoice? Sing and rejoice because of His coming, because of His presence, because of His, because of His Word, because of His mercy to the nations, because He has given us His plan for the ages. Sing and rejoice because He loves us. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you might be thinking, man, I, I didn't come to hear a political message. Well, the thing is, our faith affects our politics. You say, I, I, I don't want to hear about this Jesus that's going to destroy nations. Well, those nations don't have to be destroyed. You see, the Bible says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. That's what, Jesus, that's what God the Father said. 
The Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says, now the time of this ignorance God winked at, but now God calls all men everywhere to repent. What is repentance? It's changing your mind about what you've been believing about God, your sin, and the Savior. The Apostle Paul said that what they would go out and preach was repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. We have to repent because we're sinners. There's a holy God. When you recognize the presence of God, that Jesus Christ is here in this place, and He's knocking on your heart's door right now, He's asking for you to give Him permission to enter in. The presence is here, but that presence always requires separation and holiness. You see... The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, that gift, it must be received as a gift. It can't be earned. You can't work for it. It's a gift that must be received as a gift. But the way that you receive it is by saying, I need it. Why do I need it? Because I'm such a sinner I've been heading this way. I need to turn this way to God and to the Savior. Repent. Repent. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? I'm not asking if you know that He was born of a virgin and that He lived a sinless life and that He died on the cross for you and then three days later He rose from the dead. I hope that you know that. I, I imagine just about everybody in the United States knows that. But that doesn't mean you're saved. The Bible says the devils know who Jesus is and they tremble. The fact that you know those truths, that's helpful. That's the beginning. But at some point, that reality of who Jesus is in His death, burial, and resurrection must apply to your account. Amen? It must apply to your account. What does that mean? That's when you just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. I believe that you're God. And I believe that you died on the cross for me. See, there's a difference believing He died for everybody and believing that He died for you. You see, nations are not saved. Individuals are saved. God will deal with those nations after all the believers are gone. Right now, God's dealing with individuals. You must trust in Jesus Christ individually. Your family can't save you. Your church can't save you. Your friends can't save you. Nothing can save you other than the blood of Jesus Christ and having that blood applied to your account. Have you asked Jesus Christ to save you personally? I hope that you have. If you have, sing and rejoice. If you haven't, you need to fear God. And you need to ask Jesus Christ to forgive you because you and I, all of us, we deserve separation from God forever. We deserve that. We have earned that. But Jesus loves us so much that He died for us. Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me. Thou hast prepared for me a body. That body that God prepared for Jesus, that body was prepared for Him. Remember, God's a spirit. He doesn't have a body. God prepared a body for Jesus Christ so that that body could be whipped and spat upon and nailed to a cross for you and for me. He did that. That's how much He loves you and me. We have to believe that. We have to ask Jesus Christ to save us. If you've never asked Him to save you, I hope you'll do it today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody's looking around.